1: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion.
3: Hello, everyone, welcome back to another edition of RotoViz Overtime on RotoViz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. My name's Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co host, as always, is Mr. Sean Siegel, the co owner of RotoViz. Sean, it's a, a real fun time of the year, as we mentioned on the last show we looked through. Uh, the recent Dynasty startup draft I did and we'll have lots of talk over the coming weeks of players redraft and Dynasty values and looking at it from different angles but on today's show it's gonna be another fun one because uh, you often talk on the show about some of the drafts that you do including this particular one we looked at it last year as well it's the MFL 10 of death and there's uh, lots of uh, industry leading experts uh, from the fantasy uh, industry that are involved in it and we're gonna be looking at that in quite a bit of detail today so lots of good stuff coming up on the show including that so i'm excited for this one uh, are you excited for it
2: definitely this is this draft is always one of my favorites it has uh, as you mentioned a lot of the very top analysts in the community but also a lot of my best uh, friends within sort of that group and so it's always fun to see what they will do and you know the the mix of player selections the mix of of tactical moves that people make I, I always enjoy seeing how people are going to approach this and i, I think the variety within the draft makes it a lot of fun this year especially i think there were more differences in terms of how people went about it which uh, is appropriate you know we had a 2018 season that pointed in a variety of different directions and we've talked about it a little bit uh, on the show previously in terms of the roster construction explorer and how 2018 was actually not that similar to 2016 and 2017 in terms of how it played out with roster construction. And uh, you know, that's something that's obviously very relevant for best ball and how you approach that going forward. But there are certainly takeaways for your dynasty team, for your regular redraft team that you can also see through that. So it should be a very fun draft to discuss
3: yeah lots of stuff to come up as i mentioned on the last show we kind of covered most of that show is related to the dynasty draft today most of today's show is going to be related to that draft but we're going to start that in the second half of today's show we're going to talk about a couple of other articles up on the side as well while we go through it so let's get straight into it let's jump into the second quarter So, Sean, the first piece I wanted to look at this week was one from Pat Corain and uh, Rotoviz Radio. Listeners will know Pat from his time uh, doing the flagship show and many other shows along uh, on the channel. He also, last year, and hopefully this year, did the uh, high-stakes diaries uh, up there with Peter Oversett. So he's a a kind of a, a firm favorite of mine to listen into and also to read. So that's why I wanted to get this one on the show. He took a look this week, and he's going to do a series pretty much looking at what if we're right. And this was part one in that series, and he was talking about wide receivers to sell based on their adp uh, in terms of dynasty at the ffpc versus what we think at rotoviz in terms of our rotoviz redraft rankings Uh, a couple of players that he did look at and this included antonio brown aj green jarvis landry alan robinson and Corey davis from the five that he he really dived into and this one the first in the series was there any that really stood out for you that maybe were a little bit of a surprise
2: it's it's always Interesting, I think, to see a couple of the guys who are somewhat established and still what a lot of people think of as sort of peak age type of wide receivers who could really see their dynasty value fall in the short term. But, you know, Pat has has done a great job of picking these out here. And and it's interesting because in, in the article, he looks at the difference between our redraft rankings and the FFPC dynasty ADP, as you mentioned. And you know that's that's a really cool way to do it one of the things he's looking at here is if they are close in those two areas and there are some red flags he's going to see a lot more potential for that dynasty trade value to fall and pat has one of my very favorite article series on the site from a couple years ago where he looks at dynasty trade value and looks at the way it basically declines throughout a player's entire career Right, and there are a lot of people who are targeting some of these uh, mid-career players, late-career players, because uh, because of that peak age, and because of this factor where we do see, especially at the wide receiver position, that some of the top guys will hang on for a long time. And so you have that flip side of it, where you know maybe don't sell a Larry Fitzgerald when he is 27, when he's going to go on to do all of this other stuff. On the other hand the fact of the matter is there's just a lot more risk and a lot more downside when you're holding some of these guys and and he's demonstrated that really well and we talked on the last show where it's actually more difficult to project how players are going to perform and if they're going to get injured and things like that than it is to simply turn your roster over and make sure that you have that you're always accumulating trade value because that trade value does reflect actual value and when you build you know again what you're trying to do build a dynasty you have that trade value then essentially moving into this huge actual value on your roster so to go back and and answer your question a little bit he's got antonio brown aj green jarvis landry Allen robinson Corey davis i think brown and green perfect examples of guys where if they don't perform this year their trade value is going to absolutely collapse it's interesting with Landry and Robinson because Robinson is one of those guys who has this big name he had a couple of good games last year had that amazing uh, playoff game but he is now very removed from his actual top level his star season you know, Blair Andrews has also written about how you don't actually want to chase these injured guys in terms of bounce back performances. And we saw that a little bit with, with Robinson last year, uh, where, you know, he returned to being a solid wide receiver, but he's no longer that guy who is going to give you those frontline points. And so if we get halfway into 2019 and he's still right in that range then his dynasty ADP his dynasty value is going to really fall off the table too Uh, of those five guys are there any who you are really selling at this point in terms of the way my rosters are
3: constructed I actually do have AJ Green on a couple of teams and as we've talked about over the last 12 months I have uh, Tyler Boyd on pretty much all of my rosters so what I have been trying to do is move Green where possible Uh, I think, you know, he still has that kind of one to two year window, but uh, as well as uh, Pat points out here, in his career he's made his career pretty much based on consistency and not really having a huge amount of injuries throughout his career Uh, you know he hasn't had a season where he's averaged 20 plus ppr points per game over the entire season but he has continued to be consistent in terms of his weekly output uh, over and over again so he's somebody who i've been looking to try and move if i'm looking you know in terms of when i'm drafting if i have those opportunities uh, brown and green based on the age profiler players that i've been bypassing and i did mention on the last show that we do see opportunities sometimes when players are being cast aside for that you know premium in terms of them getting older but when you look at both of those guys in terms of uh dynasty they're still going off the the board and uh, the top 20 picks so that's that'll be a concern for me with those two so they're more bypasses and if i do have them on my rosters um i'm trying to sell but what i found recently with Green and I don't have any shares of Antonio Brown. It is hard to move them at the moment because people kind of know why you're trying to move them. So unless it's somebody who's content in this year and wants to get that player uh, to try and push them over the edge, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I think, to move them for the value you might want to get. Alan Robinson is an interesting one because coming out of college, he was a player that I ended up with on quite a lot of my rosters, and I still have him from that time and obviously he had the situation with Bartles being his quarterback but they did put up you know a huge amount of garbage time kind of points over those kind of two or three years but with the injuries they've kind of crept up on him and I do think the Bears offense isn't really going to have that standout star wide receiver one on the roster I think it will be spread around a little and I think we've seen that and I think there will be limitations in terms of what Trubisky can do uh, in the passing game so the the interesting thing to start to look at from a dynasty perspective is with Alan Robinson um, he is you know heading in uh, into another year of his contract and the Bears can actually save 13 million in 2020 if they forgo that last year off his deal so there's sort of things you need to start to, to look at and I always like to look at players who are coming into free agency next year or players um, you know whose value could spike up if they you know they might be in a bad situation now and then next year if they get a move we can see that value spike so I'm always looking at what the contract situation are but the reverse of that is to look into what teams could potentially save and when you're looking at it, is Alan Robinson a wide receiver who's going to be able to you know add that much value to the team uh, it's something at the moment that I'm not quite sure of so uh, he would also be heading into his age 27th season at that stage and hitting free and so it's hard to know what way some of these values could go Corey Davis is the other one um you know with the a wide receiver being drafted this year early we don't know if Marcus Mariota is ever going to hit that full potential so Davis is someone I still have a a lot of hope for and know if I was able to get him at the right price I probably would be trying to acquire him uh, moving forward, but you know his problem has been based on that Titans offense and Mariota failing to, to put up huge numbers as well. Um, you know, 2018 was his best season with the 27, uh, f- finishing 27th at the wide receiver position, 11.5 points per game, uh, as Pat pointed out as well. So I just don't know if we'll ever see him hit that upside that we thought he would coming out of college. Again, he was a player that I I drafted a lot off, and uh, I'm still hopeful that there's a little bit of hope there, but i think that with this group you're kind of looking at uh you know robinson uh davis and also if you look at jarvis landry possibly having caps on what they can do obviously with odell beckham arriving now and cleveland as well and the other two guys then are at the older end of the spectrum so they're all ones to, to proceed with caution but i think if you have them in your roster you probably are trying to move them but you just might not get the value you want so you might end up holding them do you think that's where you're going you're gonna to end up with those guys, or are you, are you on the acquiring side of it?
2: I would never be picking up any of these older players unless it was at a pretty significant discount. I do think Antonio Brown is interesting in that he's already going to a huge discount to what his recent performance has been. And so at some point there, he does become an interesting player, even if it's just in the short term. And I think there are opportunities to pick these guys up play them even for a portion of the year and move your team you know, more into the area where you want to be in terms of playoff seeding. You know, if you're in a league where six teams make the playoffs, then getting into that one seed, that two seed, that dramatically increases your chances to win simply because those playoff games are such crapshoots. Right? So if you can pick up an Antonio Brown, move yourself up in terms of seeding, and then maybe even flip him before the season ends right? If he has a good season, then, you know, you're going to be able to get more value out of him while also having gotten the value from him when he was in your starting lineup. So that'd be something that I would look to do. It's something that I had some success with, with Adam Thielen in a number of leagues. And I think that if you go that direction, that would be the way to play it. Certainly these aren't guys that you're looking to hold for the long term, Although I you know, one of the things that, that Pat points out that's really interesting, which shows you both the risk in Jarvis Landry's value, but also I think maybe a sneaky upside, right, is that Landry was the 15th wide receiver in ADP in 2016, and that was coming off a wide receiver 11 finish. He was 21st in 2017, coming off wide receiver 13, 17th in 2018, coming off a wide receiver four, right? He was the 17th wide receiver coming off a wide receiver four finish. Now, you know, that wasn't necessarily wrong in terms of the uh, what happened then because he, he finished at wide receiver nineteen, so he, he was, you know, right in that range, but now he is twenty sixth in ADP. If this offense works the way some people are expecting. If Baker Mayfield has that huge season, if Odell Beckham has that huge season, one of the things is that, you know, we've already seen Beckham and Landry uh, function side by side before when they put up good numbers in college, right? There's enough to go around in that offense. I mean, Beckham is going to be replacing a ton of targets from people who were extremely inefficient right he doesn't necessarily have to take targets away from Landry so those two guys go out there light the world on fire Beckham opens things up for Landry I mean this could be a situation where you know Beckham has the big plays but with him as the focal point then Landry goes back to being that huge volume wide receiver you know certainly we've seen guys like Julian Edelman uh Wes Welker have success when there was a more talented wide receiver uh, tight end someone like that taking these high value targets away from them still having a ton of value so Landry's always been my guy he's still someone I would feel very comfortable with where he is right now
3: So allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends over at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. If you're a diehard who loves to draft the FFPC, best ball leagues are already in full swing for the 2019 season, with drafts starting at just $35, all the way up to a $1,250 entry fee. Both slow and live drafts are filling and launching daily, and of course, as I mentioned on previous shows, if you are a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have over 300 active dynasty leagues starting at $77 and even of a $5,000 entry dynasty league. And the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. Registrations for brand new startup dynasty leagues have opened and new legs are forming Daily, limited orphan teams are also available at discounted prices. Don't miss out on the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football.
1: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.
3: So Sean, as we continue on with the show, we did tease it at the top and we're going to look here at the piece you've done up on the site looking at the recent draft and the MFL 10 of death and of course the best ball workshop to help get some of the <laughs> players you wanted to get, I guess, get that strategy all set up. Uh, just before we get into the actual draft itself, what were some of the tactics you might want into the draft with? Did you go in just with an open mind? Did you go in with Uh, something that you're trying to achieve based on looking at the best ball workshop before what was your strategy going on it can be very very difficult going into a a draft with uh, other like-minded people like yourself uh, and trying to get exactly what you want
2: yeah, so the MFL Ten of Death is obviously it, it is always hugely entertaining. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Patrick Thurman put it together six years ago, and we're now in in uh, MFL Ten of Death six, and it continues to evolve and and be one of those really neat formats to see what some of the top experts are going to do in a best ball format. When I was going into this, I wanted to make sure I used our tour, tools sort of in unison. To uh, try and create some both tactical. Approaches that would give perhaps a slight advantage and then create some player selections to where we would be using multiple tools to make sure we're getting good value, especially early on there. So use the roster construction explorer that we have talked about at length in terms of the best ball workshop, use that fan ball ADP dashboard where you can go in and you can see all different kinds of elements with ADP. Uh, Mike has recently added a cool tool where you can see the entire you know top 200 and some picks as a draft you can see it visually so you know if you want to see what a certain number a certain player corresponds to in terms of the round how they're falling in different guys just get that visual impression of it he's got that in the tool now uh, i was going back and forth as the draft went along between the draft grid On the site and the draft grid that he had put together to see you know you just get a little more sense of of where those values are if the guy is now you know at a one and a half round value a two round value maybe has fallen three rounds below value and we had devin singletary who has an app around round 11 who was not drafted at all which gives a sense i think of how some particular players can be pretty big red flags if folks are concerned about a really uh, log jam depth chart like they have there with buffalo so you know you, with with those visuals it, it gives you a really quick uh, cheat sheet to being able to see where maybe you do want to grab a guy before he gets to this next round this next level so the other tool that i used was the rotabiz screener which we talked about you can go in and actually not just grab all of these cool stats uh, the raw stats, the advanced stats that you can use to make projections. And so made some simple projections for the running back and wide receiver positions, and then looked at our staff rankings and wanted to focus on players who were overvalued by both our rankings and the projections and kind of avoid those guys. If we can avoid those players early. Now, I mean, frankly, most of the guys you're going to look at in the first two rounds, they're very appealing players in one way or another, right? So we want to have some sort of quick means of saying, okay, this guy is on the do not draft list, even though maybe there is some element to him that's pretty intriguing. And the do not draft list here threw up a handful of, of, again, I mean, appealing names. We have Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, Travis Kelsey, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, and Nick Chubb. The interesting thing there and kind of fitting with some of the discussions that we've had previously is that eliminates six running backs and one tight end it doesn't eliminate any wide receivers from our consideration and that goes back to this element that we've been talking about where running backs are very clearly overvalued based on what they would be projected to score in the following season right and what we're looking at best ball leagues in this particular format you're looking at a structure where you're looking at a starting lineup where you have two running backs three wide receivers and a flex position so if you are attacking a position early on that is going to score fewer points and is less important simply because you have fewer starters then you know that throws up a red flag and makes you wonder well how have things worked historically here and what we talked about in the most recent best ball workshop is that if you draft a running back in the third round or the fourth round it absolutely crushes your win rate right and so by contrast the best approach is to select a running back in round one and then really hammer wide receiver you can go into the article here you can look at the win rates for a running back wide receiver start for a wide receiver running back start and for a running back running back start and the win rates go kind of in that order right so if you can go running back wide receiver that would be your preference the next best would be wide receiver running back once you start to get very running back heavy in the early rounds you see these win rates start to really fall so both the roster construction explorer and the sort of deep dive into player values kicks back the suggestion to take a running back if you can get one of the mega studs and then really hammer wide receiver and that's how i tried to start out the draft
3: yeah, when we look at the draft, uh, digging a little bit deeper into it, um, obviously we have Romy, who had the first pick uh, off the draft, and then we also have uh, another one of the road of his team, uh, Mike Beers, then Scott Barrett, then you were at pick number four, uh, late round quarterback, at pick number five, Pat Thorman, then we had Sigmund Bloom, Mike Clay, uh, we had Danny Carter, Evan Silva, Uh, moving all the way along to Lord Reeves at the end so there's just a a real uh, good group in there smart guys uh, drafting and obviously you have picked number four and the way it starts off is Barkley, McCaffrey, elliot and then you're up at four so you've talked already about you know the strategy of what uh, the tools were showing and what we should be kind of looking towards and i did see this tweeted out earlier in the week and i said that sean is keeping uh, zero rb alive and well and as, as we've mentioned on the show quite a few times that people tend to misunderstand sometimes what zero running back is you've kind of hit on it there that you can and you should probably target one of those stud running backs in that first round if you have the opportunity and and you did that with Alvin Kamara. And I probably think that he probably should be going third off the board anyway at this. So I think even at one spot behind, there's a value there. But is that was was Kamara kind of the target there? Was he who you were hoping to fall? Obviously, we, we aren't going to see someone like Barkley or McCaffrey probably get to that fourth spot. Was he who you were hoping to get and then go the rest of the way, like you mentioned, going with those wide receivers to to try and get that their core as strong as possible?
2: it's tricky because uh, like you mentioned the zero running back has been very successful for me in this particular league didn't necessarily want to go away from that i would certainly consider an alvin camara selection followed by a host of wide receivers to be you know what some people call you know one elite running back right and so the thing that I think about zero running back is that you don't have to use the exact zero running back tactics in order to modify that and have it be something that can be very successful. So this was a difficult pick for me because in 2018, if you selected your running back one after round five, right? So that would be a pretty clear straight zero running back sort of approach. If you selected your running back one after round five, then you won at a 14.3% rate, which absolutely destroys any other approach that you can have they're right and what we saw from 2018 is we saw some of these big numbers we saw McCaffrey have this incredible win rate he was the top guy by a wide margin and that again I think really encourages people to try and find that running back star but even with that being the case this late round running back worked extremely well and For me, 2019 sets up in a very, very similar fashion because running backs are so overvalued, which allows you to get, you know, stud wide receiver, stud wide receiver, stud wide receiver. And one of the problems that we were starting to run into in the 2015, 2016, 2017 time period is simply that The ADP had shifted in such a way that, number one, it was a little bit more difficult to simply stack your lineup with stud wide receivers. And then wide receivers weren't scoring as much, so they didn't give you as much value. We saw the NFL really shift back in the other direction last season. And because ADP has not really taken that into consideration, you can now go back and stack the studs. So my consideration here was Kamara or deandre hopkins who those are my number three and number four guys so i was guaranteed to get at least one of my four guys with the top four pick which you you always like it's it's a big advantage to be picking at the top of the draft there uh my concern in terms of getting camara whom i believed would set this foundation to them be able to go with a long stretch of wide receivers which is what i eventually did was that he would go three because i think he's the pretty clear number three i mean he outscored ezekiel elliott last year even with mark ingram in place his upside with someone else and you know latavius murray may go in and be a better back than mark ingram but because of what ingram was with the saints uh, a first round draft pick who they'd had to trade you know, a huge amount to get and then even though he'd struggled uh, with the Saints, they re-signed him as a free agent. I mean, there were so many things really locking him into a workload that he didn't deserve. Murray's going to come in as an outsider. He's going to get some work. He's going to spell Kamara. He may get some goal line touches, but Kamara has just gigantic McCaffrey-like upside for this season, and I didn't feel like I could pass on that when I knew the caliber of wide receivers I was going to be able to get in rounds two through six, and so there was, there was a part of me that was happy to be able to get him and start the roster off that way. And then, obviously, there was the part that was disappointed because I don't think he can go wrong with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he fell to pick number 11, which uh, it just is insane, right? I mean, you've got one of, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL, and you've got an offense that is emerging, right? I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has the potential for a Calvin Johnson-like season, this year and you know certainly if he does that i'll be disappointed that i went away from zero running back
3: <laughs> yeah and when we look at it as well like if you look at you know what the, the red flags were showing up and uh, the road of his tools um you know elliot going to tree so obviously if kamara had a went to three, tree you would have elliot david johnson and melvin garden all who showed up as red flags on the road of his tools so at that point i think it would have been a clear decision for you to, to go hopkins at, at number four would that have been the decision you would have made
2: yeah, so he he would have been the guy there and I don't think that Elliot is a bad pick by any stretch. He comes off as one of the people in the do not draft list simply because where he's being picked in that number two number three range, the expectations are so high I and mean, we still have him as a very clear top five selection. so I don't think anybody you know would ever deserve any criticism for grabbing him. I just do prefer the even more intensely pass heavy back there i prefer the the more high, high powered offense prefer the guy that i think you know, could legitimately see a jump into that 27 28 point range when we had Todd Gurley score in the 26s last year we've had some guys like Marshall falk like LaDainian Tomlinson like Priest Holmes scoring that 28 29 30 range uh, in a different nfl but one of the things we're seeing is we're moving both back to that type of nfl and away from it at the same time which has been fascinating and is i think very exciting uh, from a fantasy football perspective and from a tactical perspective as we're looking at what you should do as the nfl continues to evolve Kamara is the guy i like there certainly you know elliot also you know once you get amari cooper as that offense continues to to grow you know, it, it could be one of the top offenses in the NFL. So, people who are expecting Elliott to do what Le'Veon Bell's done, what David Johnson's done, what Todd Gurley's done, that I think is a difficult standard to hit, but certainly not impossible for a back of that caliber.
3: Yeah. And we're going to run through some of the other picks now. When you got into pick uh, in the second round, pick 209 off that second round, uh, it ended up being Mike Evans. that was your pick. I know from some of your considerations that you had, you know, two tight ends marked and there obviously Ertz went in the first round so Kittle and uh, sorry uh, Kelsey went in the first round so Ertz and uh, Kittle then were other options but you went with Evans and we talked a little bit about Antonio Brown uh, earlier in the show he was actually the next wide receiver taken just at the very end of that round Um
2: what was your thoughts going into uh, taking Evans at that point well, Evans is one of the guys on the clear values list, right? I was hoping that there was a slight chance that someone like a Julio Jones, like an Odell Beckham would fall to me at that spot. I mean, it seems impossible. I mean, you're talking about guys who could very easily be drafted number four, number five overall, and I don't think anybody would blink at that. I mean, they might in 2019, but certainly in some of these preceding seasons, knowing you know what those guys have done. I mean, you go back and look at Julio Jones's resume, and I was just looking at it yesterday, and for someone who's watched all the games who you know spends all their time with fantasy football i was still blown away at what his actual numbers have been season by season by season to have him going in the middle of the second round it just it's really hard to fathom right not surprisingly those guys didn't fall but mike evans who had over 1500 yards last year does follow that spot lets me get that wide receiver to start loading up at that position there is some disappointment because I thought there was a very slight chance that Kittle or Ertz would come back around. Neither one of them did that. And one of the main things that we find with the roster construction explorer is that having an elite tight end absolutely sets you up for success, right? It's one of the most foundational things you can do in putting together your roster. A lot of people don't do it because they look at it at this onesie position, but then they don't Take that same logic to the difference between running backs and wide receivers, right? If you're going to look at tight end and say, well, that's just one starter, then you need to really be considering how that affects the running back and wide receiver position as well. But then the other side of that is if you end up with two tight ends who can score, they make good flex options, right? So you give yourself much more flexibility and you stay away from the situation where late in drafts, you're chasing bad players and that's a little bit what i got into by making the evans selection here you know you look at wide receiver there are more options now mike evans was not going to come back around into the second round but there are some good guys in that third round area there whereas once kittle and Ertz are off the board it's a big fall to the next tight end there are some intriguing guys like oj howard and evan Ingram. You do have someone like Jared Cook who had a good season last year and is now going into a great opportunity. And that's who I eventually did select as my tight end one. But those guys really pale in comparison to those top tight ends.
3: Yeah. And if you could go back, I'm just going to go down through the next couple of selections and it starts to turn into a team very similar to uh, some of the picks that I mentioned in the dynasty draft uh, on the last show. But it ended up being Kamara, then Evans, then T.Y. Hilton, uh, DJ Moore calvin ridley uh, then will fuller and then you finished off that kind of seven round run with uh, jared cook so if we look at the draft and how it played out the the players that went in that range where you uh, then took ty hilton were stefan diggs one pick before hilton and then aj green a pick after and um, so i'm just wondering then when you look back and obviously ending up with jared cook uh, in the seventh round overall if you could go back and change would you rather have Kittler Ertz in that second round then take one of that bunch of you know Diggs, Hilton, green or keen Allen to be that first wide receiver on your team and, and chance doing it that way
2: rather than have jared cook or would you go with how it developed for you after that i would probably go with the tight end and that would have changed everything in the draft to where you no longer know what who would be available how you would go about things which picks would be changed but it but one of the exercises I will go through is look at sort of an alternate team if I had gone that route, assuming most of the things with the other picks that people have made are going to stay somewhat similar and see how the construction of the roster ends up going i ended up with a three tight end construction instead of the very strongly preferred two tight end construction with the tight ends somewhat early i did get a couple of guys that i like late in jared Everett and hayden hurst i mean very very late i think those are good options obviously you wouldn't select them before the very final rounds one of the things that i did in this draft that i think is almost the only exploitable opportunity in terms of projecting players is to take a lot of guys who are going into their second season so out of my 18 players so taking away the two defenses 10 of my 18 guys are in their first three years in the league and seven of those guys are second year players strongly encourage people to go in check out blair's work in the wrong read on this particular element and it also reflects work we we uh, talked a lot about pat's work early in the show the trade value bump that you see with those young guys fits in with the actual production bump that you see with those guys where the only season in which you expect greater production than you got in the in the previous season is that second year every other year shows a decline for a handful of reasons right so this idea that we're going to continue to see people move and jump up into their peak is not exactly the case but there is this big jump in year two which is the one year people are like i just i'm not confident in them yet i want them to prove it to me before i go after those guys so i selected dj Moore in round four selected calvin ridley in round five selected Cortland sutton in round eight uh, Hines at running back, uh, Freeman and Hines and running back in rounds nine and 10 consecutively there. And then Hurst obviously finishing out the draft with a couple other young guys in there. If those guys make the jumps that we would expect based on their college performance, which is still relevant for, for projecting second year players based on what they did this previous season, then the value there is going to be extreme compared to some of the other options. Now, Hurst is obviously a little bit different because he had a bad rookie season. And those are people that you do actually want to sort of avoid round 20 was the place where I felt confident there and not confidence isn't even really the word, but simply comparing him versus Jason Witten, who was the other option. I think they have similar floors with the snap counts that we're hearing on Witten. Hearst's floor is very, very low, but as that, former first round pick the team has this incentive to really push him volume wise right so whether he becomes a successful nfl player or not the second year is that year where they're really trying to see so even if he ends up not being an nfl player this is the year where he gets forced volume to try and find that out so even if you end up picking a guy who ends up being a very short-lived guy sort of like uh a Cordero Patterson for example it's those early years where you can still take advantage of that because the teams are still trying to find out what they have and you know I prefer him a little bit there over guys like Marquise Brown Mark Andrews people you would definitely rather have and I definitely prefer Hurst over players like mark andrews marquise brown but when we're looking at sort of long shots in an offense where there are concerns about pass volume also concerns about pass efficiency we don't know how that would turn out i prefer the least expensive guy there and if this offense does emerge then i think all three of those guys will be values but you have the least risk when you're looking at it in around 20
3: yeah no, i agree there and if i was looking obviously and it's the way you would expect the team to line up is the what, the running backs are probably the weakest core of the team and the tight ends and then you know obviously you have uh, Breeze and Lamar Jackson at quarterback so I think you're pretty pretty good there um, and obviously the advantage of taking that running back and Alvin Kamara at the, the first round point that you did means that then the, the, the running backs that are in behind and you know Hines and uh, Breda you know jill and richard you're only looking for one of them really to head on a weekly basis to keep things um, on track for you there but it, it's an interesting lineup there's a, a lot of things i like about the wide receivers um i just think this team would probably look a lot better just if you had that turnaround with kittler arts in the second round and then a wide receiver uh, instead of cook in that seventh round that's probably the main thing that i would look to adjust but when you're in the draft and when you're trying to make those choices and the, there's nothing worse than when you say i'm going to pick uh, a wide receiver here and one of those two tight ends are bound to get back to me and then the, the two tight ends come off the board in the next uh, six picks so it's never it's never easy to, to judge those things but that's what the the apps help us help us do up in the site but overall it's a, a very very good team when you look at the teams when they were finished up um was there any team in particular you thought that came across uh, very very strong
2: well, I mean, this is going to sound like road bias, but I, I thought Mike's team was fantastic. If you go through and you look at his picks, he does all of the things that we're looking for, right? He he has the value of being the number two pick, and, and that's a huge value. When you get to start your roster with Christian McCaffrey, then you can make some other mistakes. But he comes back around. He does what we suggested in terms of avoiding any running back selections in rounds three and four. He grabs Zach Ertz in round three, which historically has been, uh, has given fantastic results he has Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers in rounds eight and nine one of the things we talked about in the best ball workshop the tight end less or the quarterback lesson was the quarterbacks are actually not as irrelevant as people tend to think when you get to stack your lineup there with the Luck and Rodgers and again at a position where the opportunity cost is is minimal right there there are good players going in that range but there are good players who are similar going again afterward when you have luck when you have rogers then your upside at the at the quarterback position is huge and and quarterback points was one of the main reasons i was able to win last year you should not uh, ignore quarterback should not ignore tight end should not ignore defense he comes back at the end he gets the three defenses so his yeah ability or potential to dominate that position is also there he basically goes through and i mean there were a couple of guys he and i talked about where you know i might have taken someone other than philip Lindsay in round five but the way that he constructed his roster and some of the big names that he has on his roster i think you have to look at that and be very uh, optimistic about his chances for success yeah it's
3: really good that was the team I had seen as well you know the way he started that draft off with McCaffrey, Brown and Ertz he could potentially have the you know the number one at that position and uh, all three positions of those, that first three rounds so really good then he has Lock and Rodgers could possibly have the the top overall quarterback at the end of the season so just really really strong all round. Um the one team that's gonna be interesting to watch to see how they do when we look at it against your team Sean is Evan Silva as he started off uh, with five running backs uh, and two tight ends in the first seven rounds, uh, and then went with quite quite a large amount of youth in terms of rookies with Harry Metcalf, Campbell, Debo Samuel, um, all in there, and then. Trey Quinn uh, going into his second year so a lot of young guys in there and a lot of running backs to start off for Evan but it's gonna be interesting to see how this goes and I'm sure we'll be talking throughout the season about it um, but uh, obviously Sean we kind of teased some of them there when we were talking about the selections you may have made or the thoughts process that you went through it Um, there could be a piece coming out on the site over the next uh, week or so where we where you look back and talk through that so another good piece for the, the the people listening and to keep their eyes out for when that does hit, but we're getting closer to the end of the show, so let's jump into overtime and uh, get ready to wrap things up. The so the last thing, Sean, we're going to talk about today is a piece up on the site by Court Smith, uh, and he's looking at some players that we should stop drafting at their current ADP. He has Leonard Fournette, who at any ADP I'd probably be avoiding anyway. Uh, but his positional ADP is uh, thirteen, and then Roto's positional rank is nineteen, so seven difference there. We have Adam Humphries, who recently moved to. The Titans' uh, positional ADP at sixty-one, Roto rank at sixty-eight, uh, and then we have uh, CJ Anderson also sixty-two at the running back position, at seventy-four on the Roto Biz ranking. So we have uh, two players who have uh, switched offenses and uh, obviously we know that that can uh, be a very much a hindrance to fantasy production Leonard Fournette though is the one that I would be picking out of this list because the other guys the investment isn't huge in terms of what you're putting in there and obviously you're still getting value if you avoid them I think but Leonard Fournette uh, at a positional ADP of 13 is somebody who I've been really trying to avoid this offseason and pretty much since he came into the NFL obviously year one uh, I obviously missed out in that production but I think I don't know how long he is for the NFL in terms of his position. I've been drafting uh, the guys that are in there behind him in that depth chart this offseason, um, and that there's where I'll be looking to get my value in the Jacksonville running back room, and it'll be avoiding Leonard Fournette. But what's your thoughts on all three of them? Is Fournette the one that stood out for you, or was there anything that stood out of the three guys um, that maybe you agree
2: or disagree with? he is and and like you said the reason that he would be a concern is just that the the price is very significant there and this one is going to definitely go one of two very opposite ways in that that offense is poised to improve and there is nothing else there that he is competing with i mean it's to the point where raquel armstead uh an interesting sort of late flyer in his own right, but becomes one of the more intriguing rookies simply because behind Fournette, you're talking about basically nothing. So for people who are are almost exclusively volume drafters, I think this is an intriguing pick because you've got a former very high reality selection who does have some talent and is going to be an improving offense where if he stays healthy and stays in the good graces of the team then his total number of touches could be huge now the downside obviously is that he's had a hard time staying healthy he's had a hard time staying in the good graces of his team he's not one of those guys where you would expect his total number of receptions to jump in such a way that he suddenly has expected points in the 20 23 25 range and then he simply hasn't been the kind of star that we've been expecting now there have been some stretches where he's been healthy where he's put up some good numbers but he's almost in that trent richardson range with the exception that trent richardson through his first couple of seasons had actually caught the ball right and was this hybrid running back who could give you value in in both elements of the game and so i think that was one of the reasons why the colts were interested in him even after he was busting out there in cleveland and it was one of the reasons why fantasy owners were very interested in him now he did go you know in in the bad direction and obviously very quickly flunked out of the nfl um fournette based on how little the jaguars seem to like him even though he's their guy you you get the feeling that fernet might already be moving into that area especially if he has any sort of health problems because if, if he has problems with the legs with the feet anything like that then it's going to sap him of what little he has that would really separate him or make him someone who is is worth kind of stacking those carries in on to where that big volume would deliver the value so there's there's big risk for him there he's one of those players where you know all of these running backs are overvalued in terms of what you know we would project them to do and they're overvalued because of the risk involved and so he's barely in my top 50 which obviously makes him someone that i'm not anywhere near at his adp that doesn't mean that there's not a scenario where he returns value and he's even picked in the first round In twenty twenty, anytime someone is a former high pick, is going to have those number of touches. If the offense improves, if he stays healthy, you know it could certainly work out. The risk doesn't justify his ADP. There are a lot of other guys who are more established, who are better actual NFL players, who play the position that you really want in that range that you should be going after instead. But you know, if Fournette is being drafted in the Ezekiel Elliott range next year, you know that that certainly is not an impossibility
3: yeah and if you look at it as well you know the, the team is void his fifth year option of the rookie contract so you mentioned just you know the, the issues there he said off the field issues in terms of arrests and things like that there um he's had on the field issues where he had the suspension last year um versus buffalo um, and he's had the injury issues pretty much since he entered the league um the, the whole way along so all those things combined, change at quarterback, lots of different things happening. There's just far too many red flags for me to be drafting him at that position. And you know, if you look at the guys you mentioned, Ricard Armstead, um, I'm actually doing a rookie draft this week, and I actually got him in the late third round, which um i think is a, a pretty late pick going on what i think his value will be um and you know if you're looking at zero rb candidates guys like him alfred blue who while he hasn't been uh, you know somebody who lit the league on fire he has still had work while backing up lamar miller for the houston texans over the last couple of years and you know there, guys i think this year we could be looking um a zero rb candidates in terms of if anything happened for net in terms of either production or injury um i think those guys could step right in so he's the guy i'm definitely avoiding uh, another good piece up there by court smith on the site so to get ready to wrap up the show i just want to let all the listeners know as always you can get a Rotoviz nfl discount right now just for being a loyal listener to the podcast it is 10% and you get that through the road forward slash podcast page that is the podcast homepage the season is coming very very fast there's lots of great content and tools up there we talk to it on a show to show basis uh, but you just uh, we we can't cover it all there's just so much good stuff up there make sure you sign up for that nfl pass right now and save yourself 10 that is rotowiz.com forward slash podcast and with that it's going to do it for today's edition of the show it's been a lot of fun running through it looking at the nfl t- or the mfl 10 of death with sean
2: among some of those articles sean uh, enjoy today's one i did it, it, it's always fun recapping a draft and in the drafts you know people who aren't actively drafting are not being forced to make decisions they're not getting a chance to see what other people are doing they're not working through the flow of Of the picks. I mean, the thing that has always helped me in terms of the high stakes results and that type of thing is the volume of drafts. And so I would encourage you to get out there. It's fun to draft. uh, and, And drafting is what makes you better, right? You don't have to have a lot of actual information about what's going on if you're involved in these drafts. Now, we have that information. We have all of the stuff on the site, like Colin said, that will help you you know, find these handful of guys that will be the league winners for you this year. But simply going out there and drafting is one of the best things that you can do. And it's the reason you play fantasy football. It's it's the most fun part of the year. So uh, everybody get out and do that. And we will talk to you again soon yeah and you get all those uh you know you you get
3: to know the value obviously you're we're looking at the the tools on the site and it's giving you the points but when you're drafting with other people especially when you're drafting in a league like this with so many industry experts it gives you kind of pinpoints of where you know the pressure points are in certain drafts where players will start to go where the runs might start on players gives you different perspectives and uh, builds up your kind of your knowledge of where things can go right and of course where things can go wrong and try and avoid those but i do think like you touched on something there i think sometimes drafting is probably the most fun part of everything in fantasy football obviously winning the championship is uh the most enjoyable part but drafting is something that's always a, a fun thing to do so get out there get into those drafts and uh, enjoy yourself as the off season really starts to kick into full gear here and we get ready for the twenty nineteen season that's going to do us for today's edition of the show as always my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to the co-host is sean siegel who you can follow on twitter at ff underscore contrarian and with that it's going to do us for another one have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rodovis Radio podcast on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Roto-Viz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rodovis at a 10% discount through the Roto-Viz. Radio homepage that is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.